We have two readings this morning, as you will have seen. The first from the Old Testament is from Psalm 19, and you'll find that on page 545. Psalm 19 on page 545. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And the second reading is from John chapter 1. And you'll find that on page 1062. I think you've already found it, so it's great. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him... Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, 
nor of human decision nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Don't think we're singing, but um, <laughs> well, I'm definitely not going to sing for you. That's what you were after. But all right. Good morning. Um, my name is is Johnny. I'm the youth pastor here at St Stephen's, and a, a warm welcome to you. And before we get into um, the sermon today. I just wanted a, a thought that really struck me last night, and I'm telling you this now because it's totally unrelated to what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> but it's a really great segue and makes me feel comfortable on stage. Um, in the sort of the, the footsteps of my uh, father, I've been reading uh, back through the Narnia series, the C.S. Lewis Narnia series. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing to read it back. And as I was reading it, you meet Aslan, the lion, and he's just this incredible character where you you kind of long for his presence and he's so beautiful and full of grace and strength and power and you, you almost want him to be real and I had this thought last night that struck me and I was like wait, wait, wait. Jesus is more real than Aslan and he's more beautiful he's more wonderful and he's more powerful and I thought that was an incredible thought um, that this character uh, that is so wonderful Jesus is more real than that. And I'm going to pray now and then we'll begin, but let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here, that you with us, that we are your children and you long to speak to us. And Father, I pray that today, right now, in this space and in this moment, that you would speak to each and every one of us. You would encourage us, build us up, and call us to follow you, wherever that may be. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So what we're going to do today is, this talk is really a culmination of three, I think three ideas uh, that came into my life in many different ways over a period of about maybe two years. I'm not fully sure when I first started thinking these thoughts, but they came into my life at these loose ends. And earlier this year, I learned something that tied them all together in this like knot. Um, and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. It's sort of, I said, I, I gave the same talk at Encounter um, a couple of weeks ago, and I said it was like, this is a bit of an insight into my mind, and you can see it work and weave and, and come to some sort of conclusion. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, and this passage that I've chosen from John is really the inspiration behind it, the, the, the thing that brought these thoughts together. Um, so if you get lost, that's okay. That's how I feel most of the time. Um, so that's, that's not necessarily a problem. Um, but this, this thought to me began with, with, with an idea that came into my mind from many different places. And this idea is a really ancient idea. It's an idea that I reckon has been around since sort of the dawn of civilization and humanity. And it's an idea that's expressed itself in so many different 
cultures all over our world, almost in, in every culture, you can find something of this idea. And the idea is the idea of balance, that there is a balance in our world and in our universe. One of the most famous expressions of this idea of balance is, is the, the Taoist symbol of yin and yang. If you know, it's the, the, the black and white swirls with a dot of the opposite color in, in, in each of the segments. And it's the idea that the world is comprised of these forces that don't necessarily, they're not necessarily opposite, but they work together to order the world into a balance. Where you neither just have yin or yang, you, the world is a balance of the two. Some other cultures express this idea, and maybe this is more familiar to us in the West, the idea of order and chaos. That the world is a mix and a balance of order and chaos. And many of the, the, the creation stories of, of many cultures and religion often come from this idea of order and chaos. One of the great creation stories, the Mesopotamian creation story, sort of from the, the Middle East, talked about this sort of chaos monster called Tiamat that was killed and destroyed and the world was made from ordering her carcass, essentially. It's a strange story, but there's this chaos that is put into order and the world is a restoration, a balance of the two, of chaos and order. Another uh, philosopher who I really enjoy, his name is Alain de Botton. He spoke about it in the terms of security and insecurity. And that to me really struck home. I mean, chaos and order and chaos is quite big, it's a big picture, but security and insecurity, he said that these are both human needs. And when I heard that idea, this idea of yin yang, order and chaos became very real in my life. It became very present in me that we actually need a mixture of both. We can't live in one or the other. We actually need to live in that balance. Because if you think about it in this way, he talks about this idea of security. We need security. We have a longing for security. And we understand that. We resonate with that. We want to understand where our life is going. We want things to be secure. We want to come home to our home and know we're going to be okay. We want to be safe in our home. We want to have things that are predictable. We don't want our week to just be this chaotic mess. We kind of want to understand where we're going, what we're doing, what's going to happen, what's it going to be like. We kind of want that knowledge, that safety, that security in our life. And I think we long for that security. And, and it's a good thing. But if we only live in security, if we know everything and everything is too secure and tailored and cut and we get rid of all insecurity and all chaos in our life, we succumb to boredom and this monotony to our weeks where we just know what we're doing and we cycle through and we eat the same meal on Tuesdays and it just keeps going and going and going and it's boring. And we don't live very well in that space. We don't want to be bored. We don't want to live a life that's monotonous. And Alan de Bodden goes, yes, we need security, but we can't only have security. We need to have security with insecurity. We need a bit of excitement in our life. We need a bit of unpredictability. We need a bit of mystery. We need to sort of step out and not fully know what's happening because that's sort of like the flavor of life. It makes life 
all the more worth living. It makes it exciting. It makes it fresh and new. But also, if we only have insecurity, well, that's no place to live either. Coming home and being afraid, or you don't know what's going to happen, and your life is, is constantly changing, and nothing's secure, nothing's set, nothing's, nothing's clear-cut, that's no place to live either. And Alain de Bonn said we need both. As humans, we need insecurity and security. We need order and chaos, yin and yang. And we need to find our life and build our life in the balance of the two. I think either side of this balance is kind of like a tightrope, I feel. We're walking this tightrope of balance. And either side gives way to some form of tyranny. The tyranny of chaos or the tyranny of order. Both of them become tyrannies. Tyrannies that restrain, restrict, and take away our freedom. They rob us of freedom and balance is the path through these tyrannies. I was trying to explain this once to a group of <laughs> um, school children. Um, <laughs> it was quite difficult. But I came up with this idea of, if I was trying to describe chaos, what, what's chaos like? What is the tyranny of chaos? And I was like, imagine a playground, right? It's, you're at school, and the, the bell goes, and she's like, go out to lunch, go out to lunch. And then they, all the teachers, go back inside the school building, lock the doors, and go, see you in 40 minutes, do whatever you want, and walk off. And the kids are just left there for 40 minutes with no rules. They can do whatever they want, and nothing will matter when the bell goes again. <laughs> and some of the kids were like, please don't send us to that place. <laughs> you know, like, that is an awful place to live. That is a place of chaos, and it becomes a tyranny. And who are the ones that have power in that place? Well, it's, it's always going to be the same people. It's going to be the popular. It's going to be the cool. It's going to be whatever is valuable in that system they're going to be the ones that rise to the top and they will always suppress the weaker ones. Who misses out in a playground without rules? It's the kid that's a bit on the fringe. It's the kids that are a bit weird or a bit weaker or not quite as popular, not as cool. They will always miss out in that world. Whereas the kids that are popular and cool and have influence, whether by good means or bad means, they will always succeed in that place. And it becomes this tyranny of the powerful and the popular. And even though everyone essentially has total freedom to do whatever they want to do, everyone's freedom is inhibited by the freedom of someone else. And those with more power will inhibit freedom more than those who are weaker. Because if I can do whatever I want, and they can do whatever they want, and if our desires for what we both want don't exist well together, who wins? The one who's more powerful. The one who's got more influence, more sway. And it becomes a tyranny. And on the other side, you get this sort of tyranny of structure, where your freedom is inhibited by the structure. And if we try and structure everything and form structures where everything is categorized, everything is put in a group, everything has limits, everything has rules, we're put in structures, you lose your freedom to that structure. And again, you get this tyranny of structure, and certain people who probably made the structure will rise to the top, and they will oppress those at the bottom. Either way, on either side of this balance, we fall into one sort of tyranny or another, a tyranny of security, a tyranny of insecurity. And this is why 
the Taoists, these, um, I don't know if they're monks, I'm not sure how to describe them, the, the Taoist people in, in China, they spoke about this idea of yin and yang and they called it the Tao. And the Tao means the way, that's what the word means, it means the way. And it's the path of balance between the two. And the Tao is, it's almost like the, the logic and order of the universe. And the goal of the Taoist life is to align yourself with that order and logic of the universe and to walk in it, to walk in the way, to walk in the balance, not falling to the right or to the left, but to walk the tightrope through the middle, to walk in the Tao, to walk in the way. But the Tao is, it's, it's a non-transcendent, non-personal thing. It's like, it's like a force. It's, like a, it's like a, almost like a maths code. It's like if you do this, you're walking in the Tao in the way. It's not knowable. It's not someone you can relate to. It just is the way. It just is the path. And that's how they sort of see the world, aligning yourself to this path. And that was really the, the, the first thought that came into my head. And then this thought was just opened up to me in an amazing way. I'm going to read to you, again, that passage. It's the first two verses from John 1. But I'm going to read it to you with one word changed, and I'm going to read you the word as it is in some forms of the Mandarin Bible. So John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Tao, and the Tao was with God, and the Tao was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Do you get that? In the beginning was the Tao. See, here in, in, in the first part, the Tao is this impersonal force. It's just a way. And then here in, in John 2, 1, 2, the amazing first word of that line, he, he was with God. The Tao is no longer just a force, a path, a, a logical code of conduct. He's a person. He's knowable. The, the path, the order, the balance of the universe, the way of living that is balance is not just an idea, it's someone you can know. He has a face, he has a being, he has a voice, he has a heart. I think this is one of the most amazing ideas ever. And, and I believe when, when John was writing this, he obviously wasn't writing this with this, this, this Eastern mindset. He was writing... To, to the Greek audience, and, and the Greek word for the word, which is used in our English translations, is the word logos. It's a Greek word, we, we come to words like logic from logos. And the Greek philosophers, they spoke about a logos that held the world together, held it in order, held it in balance. And they believed that there was this force, this thing, this maybe divine but definitely not knowable thing that held the world in order. And John comes along and says, yes, that thing exists, but it's not a thing. And it's not an idea, it's a person. And you can know him. And this person, more than that, came down to meet us. 
And he lived among us. He didn't just tell us of the way. He walked the way. And more than that, what does Jesus say about himself? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the Tao, the balance, the way of the universe. He's a person. And I want us to just now, if we can sort of compartmentalize our brains and just keep that thought over here, and we're going to come back to it, and we're going to start a new tangent. Right? You got me? Great, great, cool. New tangent. And this tangent is going to take us right back to the beginning of the Bible. And I just want to read you just two verses from Genesis. In Genesis 2, verse 7 and 8, it goes, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man now became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. That's right in the beginning. It's the story of of mankind being created. And where is mankind created to live? Created to live in a garden. We, We know the story, in a garden. What is so special about a garden? What's so special about it? Why is the garden the place where mankind is put? If we go back to that thought of balance, a garden is perfect balance. Because think about this this idea. I love the way the human brain can see two things and know that they're different. We can look out at a, a group of plants... And we can go, garden, 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 jungle. Jungle, jungle, garden, garden, jungle. We know when something is a garden and when it's a jungle. The other way of putting it is we know when there's a pile of rocks and when there's Stonehenge. (laughs) There's no difference between one is a pile of rocks and one is a pile of rocks. But one is just a pile of rocks and the other is Stonehenge. We can see with our brain when something is is an ordering and when something is just a chaos. And what is a garden? A garden is the perfect balance of order and chaos. It's taking the chaos of wild living plants of a jungle and then ordering them in a garden that is beautiful and safe and wonderful. And the plants still have chaos. It's not totally ordered. If you've ever had a garden, they don't, plants don't grow the way you want them to all the time. You can't decide when the flower buds or how beautiful or what color it's going to be. The plant does that for itself. But you can decide where to put it, how you can shape its growth. There is an ordering to the chaos. The garden is the perfect mix of order and chaos. And that is the place where God calls mankind to live in the garden, in the balance, where there is a perfect balance between man and earth, man and each other, and man and God. We are in harmony. We are in balance. We are walking that tightrope through the garden. And then the story goes on. Man is given a choice to keep walking in the balance, and man chooses to hand himself over to a tyranny and a chaos of his own creation. I don't want to walk in this balance. I want to go my own way. I want to create my own path. 
I want to find my own way. I don't want you to tell me where to go. I want to go where I want to go. But anywhere that's not on this road to balance will lead to some form of tyranny, either of structure or, or of chaos. And humanity and each of us individually constantly keep choosing that chaos, keep choosing that tyranny, and then we have to deal with the consequences of that tyranny because we've chosen it for ourselves and we hand ourselves to a chaos of our own choosing. If we follow the biblical story, we see this pattern just play out. We have Adam and Eve and we, we see the results of their folly as they no longer choose the balance, choose the towel, they go their own way. And, and, and the next sort of people we meet are Cain and Abel and that story is even worse. I mean, that results in murder and death. And then we continue to see this story through the Old Testament, this spiral. We meet the Israelites who are given this opportunity to follow the way. They're given the law with God. Going, follow the path. Follow the way. Walk in balance. Don't be like the nations that succumb to tyranny. Walk in the balance of God instead. And what does Israel do? I'll go this way. Ooh, I'll go over there. And the Old Testament is constantly, it's a message of God bringing his people back saying, stop oppressing the poor. Stop neglecting the widows. Stop neglecting the weak in your community and instead live in balance. Not in a tyranny because in a tyranny it is always the poor and weak that are oppressed. And it is the poor and weak who God's ear is most attuned to. And when he hears their suffering and their cry, he always responds and his response is, come back and walk in the balance and see the benefit of that, not just for yourself, but for the entirety of your nation. But Israel, throughout the Bible and us throughout our lives, we constantly veer from this path. And we just choose a chaos of our own creation. We choose a tyranny. And it was in to this tyranny and into this chaos that Jesus came there in John 1. He made his dwelling among us. The message translation says that he moved into the neighborhood, the neighborhood of our life and our experience and our circumstance. He lived among us. Because of the tyranny that we had put ourselves in, the Tao, Jesus, the way, the logic of the world came into our world and said, I don't want you to live in this destructive way anymore. I have come to show you the path of balance. I am the path of balance. I'm not here to judge you in what you've done. I'm here to call you back. I'm here to show you that there is a way and you might not perfectly be able to walk it, but I can perfectly walk it for you. And I'm just calling you to come behind and follow me and to walk in this balance. And he taught that his entire life and more than he taught it, he lived it. He was the Tao. He was the way. And mankind, when met with the divinity and... and sublime nature of Jesus, what did they do? 
They hung him on the cross to die as a criminal. And on that day, that Good Friday day, thousands of years ago, the wave of chaos won and it swept away that path, swept away the way and said, your balance doesn't work. Chaos always wins. Tyranny wins. The powerful win. Oppressors win. The weak die on crosses. You want to follow the way? That's where you'll end up. Chaos won. And for three days, it's like stormy ocean as chaos ruled and reigned. He walked the perfect tightrope. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And as Matt painted so vividly for us on Easter, on that Friday, the way, the Tao, was carried as a dead body by his follower and put in a tomb and the stone rolled shut. Chaos killed him. Tyranny won. But the story goes on, doesn't it? We don't just stop at Good Friday. We, we come forward to Easter Sunday. And so we're going we're gonna, to, again, we're going to flick now to John 20. And this is an amazing passage. We're going to read just from John 20 from, uh, let's go from 14. This is after Jesus has died. And three days later, this lady Mary, she's coming to the tomb to, to meet Jesus. And she thinks Jesus is dead. And she gets to the tomb. And she sees there, and the stone is gone. There's two angels. And they ask a woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Get this line right now. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. That line, thinking he was the gardener. Thinking he was the gardener. What I've learned from reading the Bible, and you might have experienced this yourself, is sometimes you just want more description in the Bible. It just doesn't describe anything to you. It never tells you what's going on in people's minds or in their hearts. It just tells them they did that. And you're like, why? It just doesn't tell you. It leads you to sort of figure out and work out why they did it. But it also tells us that if the Bible says something, they have chosen to say it. And so this line, when Mary says, thinking he was the gardener, was that just included just because that's actually what she thought at that time? Oh, I just thought he was the gardener. Let's put that in. You know, take up some papyrus. That doesn't cost much. That was put in there for a reason, and I think it's one of the most profound thoughts we see. And it would have just been a mistake in her mind. But actually, she stumbled on the truth there, thinking he was the gardener. Because what does a gardener do? The gardener holds the garden in the balance of order and chaos. Nothing grows in the garden without the gardener knowing about it. 
And if the gardener doesn't want something in his garden, he can pull it out. And if he wants something to grow better, he can move it. He can prune it. He can shape it. He holds the garden in a beautiful, wonderful tension where nothing happens without his knowledge of it. And this world is like his garden. We, uh, earlier in John's gospel, we're referred to as the branches of his vine. And he may prune us, but only so that we can grow more and more abundantly and more beautiful. And in this world, there will be flowers of evil and pain and suffering that will come up. But those flowers of evil that we see, who sees them more than we see them? The gardener, because they're intruding on his garden. He knows about them. He sees them. He has a plan for them. There's an amazing parable where where Jesus also talks about, about a, a field of, of crops, and there are crops, and there have been weeds sown in among the crops, and his servants go, should we pull out the weeds? And the, the person who owns the, the farm says, no, because if you do that, you might pull up some of the crops as well, and they're still growing. Leave them there for now, and then when we harvest them all, we will pull them out then. And here is Jesus presented to us as the gardener, the Tao, the balance, the way, who is now risen again, is the Lord over all, holding our world in a balance. He sees evil. He sees suffering. He knows about it. He has a plan for it. But he will not risk the life of his children or his flowers for the sake of evil. He loves us so much more than that. But I know that if he is the gardener of my life, whatever happens when it feels like I'm in the middle of a jungle or when it feels like I'm being cut back so much that I'm not sure if I'll come back again on the other side, I know if he has done that to me, he has a plan for it. If he has put me in it, he will take me through it. He will restore me. And this garden that we are all a part of will be an abundant, beautiful place because he, the risen Lord is the gardener, and he cares for his garden. At the beginning of that chapter in John, in John 20, when we first sort of meet the tomb, there's an amazing line in John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. First day of the week. For us, that's a Monday. It's the worst day of the week. I actually love Mondays. It's fine. But first day of the week. Where have we heard the idea of a week before? It was at another garden, wasn't it? Right in the beginning, God makes the world, makes the garden in a week. Think about this chronologically. You have a week. How many days is that? That's seven. All right. What's the first day of the next week? Oh, it's, the, it's the eighth day. It's the eighth day. It's the first day of the week. If we have creation as one week, here with the resurrection of Jesus, we have what? We have the first day of a new week. There was the old week, the old week of creation in that garden and here in this garden where Jesus is the gardener risen again death and sin guilt and shame conquered we have the first day of the new week 
And this is the week in which Jesus implores us to live our life in. The old has gone, the new is here. Old wineskins, new wineskins. This is where we build our life, in the new week, in the new creation. We are a new creation in Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. We live in the new week. Revelation tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The old week, the old way of things is passing away. But the new creation that began with the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week, on the eighth day, that is the beginning of the new week. And if you want a glimpse into your future, look at the resurrected Jesus. That's the closest we can get to what's to come. The first day of the new week in a new order, a new way, a new balance. The risen Lord, Jesus, conqueror of death, friend more real than Aslan, he is the Lord over all things. And if he calls us to follow him, to walk this sort of tightrope between tyrannies, if he walks us to he calls us to find ourselves walking in his balance and in his path and in his way. If we see where that leads, we go, I want to be part of that new week. I want to be part of your garden. I want to be part of what you are doing. Then we need to change our mindset about a word that I personally hate. It's the word obedience. My bosses were here, they would tell you how much I hate that. Or my parents, they're not. It's great. They used to be both, now they're neither. Oh no, they're still my parents. But um, <laughs> the word obedience when it comes to God needs to be changed. Because I think we see obedience a bit like a chore. It's like, I guess I've got to do what God wants me to do. I'll avoid that. I won't do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. And obedience becomes a thing that we have to do. But if Jesus is really the balance, if he is walking that line and it is the best line, it is the best way to live, it is the logos, it is the word of existence, if that really is the Tao, if that is who he is, who he says he is, then obedience is not a chore. It's a gift. Because he has presented to us the path through it all. Think of Psalm 23. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm walking on that path. And I might walk through it, but I'm going to come out the other side. And if you read the end part of that psalm, oh, it's beautiful. Come through the valley of the shadow of death and to live in his house, his dwelling place forever, with a feast as he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows There'll be times where we walk through that valley. There'll be times when this tightrope will seem difficult and hard and we will stumble to the left and to the right and Jesus will constantly forgive us, call us back and just say, follow. It's not I have to follow, it's I get to follow. This is the gift of Jesus. When I gave this talk at Encounter, um, a lovely lady from our congregation came up to me afterwards and told me about the cross and a new way in which she could see it. I love this idea. This is not mine. The idea that on this cross we have these tyrannies of, of order and chaos. 
And up the middle, we have the way. We have the Tao. We have Jesus. And I want to ask us as a family, as followers of Jesus, to continue to walk that way. Obedience is not a chore. It's a gift that he has given us. It is the path to the new week and the new creation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us floundering in the dark, searching and striving, looking for the path. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us in insecurity or boredom. You do not abandon us to the tides of chaos nor the tyrannies of structures. But Father, I thank you that you came down in your Son, Jesus, and you spoke of and you lived and you pointed us to the way, the balance between them all. And Father, we are so poor at following that line. We slip, we fool, we stumble, and we bring others down with us. And you constantly in your loving voice call us back. How many times have you called me back? How many times have you called us all back? When Peter denied you three times, you called him back. How many times have we denied you? Yet you still call us back. Father, I pray for all of us here, wherever we are in our life and our journey with you, Father, I pray that you would call us to follow you, to find our life and to build it in the balance of your son, to build it in the new week and the new creation where death is not our fate, but we build our life on the resurrection. We build our life in the garden where you are the gardener. And Father, where we see evil flourishing or appearing to flourish, Father, we trust that you are a God who is good and greater than any foe that may come against you. And we submit and give our lives to you. Father, use them and show the beauty of our life to us every day. Amen.